This is Glasgow Crime Stories. We dive into crime of the city's past in short episodes you can listen to anytime, anywhere. In today's episode, we explore a true Victorian scandal involving poisoning, secret lovers and a young socialite's fall from grace in the case of Madeline Smith. It was the Glasgow murder trial where millions across the world eagerly awaited the outcome. The case of 22-year-old socialite Madeline Smith, charged with poisoning her older French lover, was the scandal of the age. When she strode into the dock at the High Court in Edinburgh in June 1857, she was probably the most notorious woman in Britain, if not the world. The subsequent nine-day trial filled the pages of newspapers everywhere with stories of poison plots and an illicit, passionate love affair. It was like something out of a Victorian theatrical melodrama or, in today's parlance, a television soap opera. One reporter in the New York Herald wrote at the time, Our readers will probably find our report of the trial the most thrilling narrative of crime, passion and judicial inquiry that has ever fallen under their notice. Madeleine was alleged to have given her French lover, Pierre-Emile Longelier, ten years her senior, cups of hot chocolate laced with arsenic after he had tried to blackmail her over their relationship. She wanted to marry a young business associate of her father's with far greater prospects. However, Longelier threatened to make their relationship public, including almost 250 steamy love letters and details of how she lost her virginity to him. If that came out, it would have ruined not only her marriage prospects, but her entire reputation. The case caused even further controversy when Smith was cleared on a not-proven verdict by a jury of 15 men at the High Court in Edinburgh, even though she was the only person with motive and opportunity. So, who was Madeline Smith, and did she get away with murder? Smith was born in 1835 into one of the best-known and most respected families in Glasgow at the time. Her architect father, James Smith, and grandfather, David Hamilton, had designed many of the city's modern Victorian buildings. The family lived at Blythewood Square, then the city's most prestigious address, and young Madeline had spent two years at a private girls' finishing school in London. When Smith returned as an 18-year-old, she mixed only with the creme de la creme of Glasgow society. The family also had a country retreat at Rue on the River Clyde near Helensborough. As was then normal, her parents planned to find Madeline a suitable husband, a Victorian version of an arranged marriage. As the daughter of a wealthy and famous Glasgow architect, she was expected to marry someone of her own social standing. However, the 20-year-old socialite broke all the rules when she began a secret two-year affair with dashing 30-year-old Longelier. Longelier had arrived in Glasgow in 1853 from the Channel Islands via Dundee and Edinburgh. Despite being a gardener to trade, he had gotten a job as a clerk in a warehouse in Bothwell Street. The couple had met by chance in 1855 during one of Madeline's many shopping trips to nearby Sucky Hall Street. She and Longelier were soon exchanging passionate letters, as many as 250, 
and Smith would sneak downstairs in the middle of the night to admit her lover to the family home in Blythewood Square. The passionate love letters, which were considered highly indecent at the time, shocked the public when they were published in newspapers with their detailed sexual content. Her parents weren't aware of their daughter's nighttime activities and were often away at their country home when the Frenchman came calling. Like many women in her position, surrounded by solid, dull, respectable men, Madeline was captivated by the exotic Frenchman. When her parents announced a match with the far more suitable William Minnach, a wealthy merchant and friend of her father, she knew that she would have to end things with a lover before too long. Her husband-to-be was said to earn £4,000 a year, around £500,000 in today's money, compared to Langelier's measly Clark's wage. There was no contest, really, in Madeline's eyes. Being a realist, the young woman knew that Minnach offered her a brighter and more secure future, someone who could keep her in the style to which she'd become accustomed. In February 1857... Madeline agreed to marry Minnach and asked Langelier to return her letters and photograph, but he refused. In one letter she pleaded, I trust to your honour as a gentleman that you will not reveal anything that has passed between us. However, Langelier was furious at the news that their affair was over, believing that she had promised to marry him. He then pressurised Smith into a series of secret meetings at her home and began keeping a diary. He told people he had seen Madeline and felt ill after drinking chocolate she provided, adding, I think I'm being poisoned. Longelier collapsed suddenly at his lodgings in Glasgow on March the 23rd, 1857. He was found by his landlady in a doubled-up position and despite medical attention by a doctor, he died the following day. After his death, his family insisted on a post-mortem being conducted and the results were handed over to the police. A forensic examination detected over 30 grains of arsenic in his remains. Detectives also uncovered the secret correspondence between the pair which revealed their passionate liaison and helped piece together the events surrounding Longelier's suspicious death. A decision was then taken to charge young Madeline Hamilton Smith with his murder. On June the 30th, 1857, her trial began in Edinburgh in full glare of the world's press. The full extent of their relationship was revealed, including Madeline's explicit love letters. My nightdress was on when you saw me, she wrote to her French lover. Would to God you had been in the same attire. The prosecution claimed she had poisoned Longelier with arsenic at her father's house between February the 19th and March the 23rd that year to prevent news of their affair emerging. It was the trial of the century, and the newspapers had found a gold mine, both in the accused, her lover, and the letters. Madeline was pretty well connected and young, and the letters that became the crucial pieces of evidence were steamy, to say the least. The Frenchman often referred to his lover with the words, Wifey mine. On one occasion, Madeline had written, Am I not your wife? Yes, I am. 
There is reason to believe that Longelier assumed that they were married according to Scott's law. And in at least one letter, Madeline promised to marry the Frenchman. Madeline Smith wrote her first letter to Pierre-Emile Longelier in April 1855, two years before his murder. She became a prolific letter writer and visited the post office in Glasgow's George Square on a regular basis, both to send and collect letters, many of which were delivered within a few hours. Given the secrecy of their relationship, letters were the main form of communication between the lovers. It was difficult for them to meet without Madeline's parents finding out, and so they corresponded several times a week. Alongside the letters, what intrigued newspaper readers of the time was how cool, calm and collected she seemed in the dock. After her arrest, Madeline's family were said to be distressed and ashamed. However, Miss Smith did not seem to suffer from the same discomfort. Throughout the trial, Smith never seemed concerned by the proceedings. One newspaper described how she entered the dock in the following terms. With the air of a bell entering a ballroom or a box at the opera, her steps were buoyant and she carried a silver-topped bottle of smelling salts. She was stylishly dressed and wore a pair of lavender gloves. Madeline Smith also seemed to exert a peculiar fascination over the men in the court, particularly the jurors. She was later to tell a female prison governess in the jail where she had been held awaiting trial that she had received hundreds of offers of marriage and money from men who had read about her exploits. In her defence, Madeline claimed that she had not seen Longelier for three weeks prior to his death. There was no doubt that she had the means, the motive and the opportunity, but what the prosecution didn't have was concrete evidence. The court was told that Madeline purchased a bottle of arsenic from Murdoch Brothers Dispensary on Sucky Hall Street under the name M. H. Smith, with the H referring to her middle name. Arsenic was a popular murder weapon in the 19th century because it was so readily available. It was also used to make candles, wallpaper and dresses. Madeline, however, insisted that the arsenic she had bought from the chemists was for killing vermin and also for cosmetic purposes, diluted with water, to wash her face, arms and neck. The prosecution case rested on the overwhelming motive that the young woman had for disposing of her former lover. However, her legal team argued that there was no evidence that she and her lover had ever met on the days when she was supposed to have administered the deadly doses of poison. Someone did come forward later to say that they had seen a man and a woman matching the couple's description outside Madeline's house the night of the murder. But because the trial had already begun, they could not be called as a witness. It was even suggested that the heartbroken Longelier may have taken his own life after she ended their affair. Longelier had spoken of suicide and was familiar with the use of arsenic himself. Despite objections from the defence, all the love letters were read out in court. Due to their frank descriptions of sex, they shocked and excited the then prudish Victorian society in equal amounts. The letters were also widely published in the hundreds of newspapers which were covering the case. But although they proved a possible motive for the murder, there was nothing incriminating in the content. 
Madeline wanted to end an affair to start another relationship, but it didn't necessarily make her a killer. It had been proved that she had purchased arsenic, but it could not be proved that she had been with the victim on the night he died or even in the days leading up to the death. The jury were told by the trial judge that they could find the accused guilty, not guilty, or not proven. While they were absent, it was said that the most relaxed person in the court was the accused. After only 30 minutes of deliberations, Smith was cleared of the murder charge and the controversial third verdict. When the jury foreman delivered their decision, the court broke out in applause. Madeline, as cool and impassive as she had been throughout the trial, nodded her gratitude and disappeared through the great oak door behind the dock. Despite her acquittal, she was seen by many ordinary people as the rich little girl who got away with murder. Madeline Smith had become something of a femme fatale and was portrayed in some publications as a devil woman who captured unsuspecting men in her web of deceit. Victorian society was scandalised, finding it difficult to cope with the outspoken correspondence quoted during the trial and with the astonishing coolness of a glamorous young woman facing the death penalty. Despite the acquittal verdict, Madeline was never quite free of suspicion and decided to leave Glasgow for good and move to London. In 1861, she married George Wardle, the business manager of the artist William Morris. He possessed a good social position and considerable wealth, and Madeline soon made a place for herself in London's literary and socialist circles. They had two children, Tom and Kitty. For a time, she became involved with the Fabian Society in London and was an enthusiastic organiser. As she was known by her new married name, not everyone knew who she was, but a few did. The Wardles separated and then divorced in 1890. The same year, Madeline moved to New York City to be with her now grown-up son Tom, who had emigrated there. She lived there in relative obscurity, managing to keep both her identity and earlier notoriety a closely guarded secret. Madeline Smith then married a second time to a William Sheehy, and this marriage lasted until his death in 1926. Madeline passed away two years later, on April 28, 1928, aged 93, and was laid to rest under the name of Lena Sheehy. To this day, she is buried in Mount Hope Cemetery in Hastings-on-Hudson in New York State. Longelier, meanwhile, is buried in the Ramshorn Cemetery in Ingram Street in Glasgow's Merchant City. Because of the scandal, Smith's family were forced to quit their luxury Glasgow home and country residence and move to Bridge of Allen in Stirlingshire. They moved again to Palmont near Falkirk, where Madeline's father died in 1863, aged 55, broken by the whole affair. Most people at the time believed that Smith murdered her lover in order to protect her own future prospects and end the blackmail threats. However, there was no proof that Smith and Longelier had ever met in the weeks before his death. She was represented by one of the leading advocates of the day, John Inglis. Crucially, the eminent QC managed to have the Frenchman's diary of the later meetings with reference to being poisoned, excluded from the trial. Oh, it's probably saved his client from a death sentence. 
Over the years, the case has continued to hold a fascination for the public. In 1950, legendary British director David Lean made a movie of the story with Anne Todd in the starring role. For many years, a model of Madeleine Smith was one of the main exhibits at the Edinburgh Waxworks Museum. Thirteen of the original love letters between Smith and a French lover can still be found at the Mitchell Library in Glasgow. In 2003, author Jimmy Powdrell Campbell published a book, A Scottish Murder, rewriting the Madeleine Smith story. He later told the Evening Times that a turning point for him had come when he read Longelier's diaries. The author suggested that the Frenchman may have even poisoned himself to make it look as though Madeleine had tried to kill him and he could have deliberately written the entries in his diary to incriminate her. In other words, Longelier was hoping she would be charged with attempted murder rather than murder and he would get revenge for her perceived betrayal. Their relationship would then become public knowledge and she would be ruined. Powdrell Campbell said of the Frenchman's diary, It had been started the day he and Madeline had fallen out, and you begin to wonder whether he could have deliberately written his entries in the diary to incriminate her. Once these things fell into place, you could look at the circumstances in a different light. Most historians believe that Smith committed the crime, and the only thing that saved her from a guilty verdict and a death sentence was that no eyewitness could prove that Smith and Longelli had met in the weeks before his death. To this day, it remains one of Glasgow's greatest unsolved mysteries. If Madeline Smith had not murdered her lover, then who did? This podcast was brought to you by the Glasgow Times. With a digital subscription, you can access our exclusive, insightful and trustworthy local news from just £2 for two months. We are also currently offering 20% off our annual rate with the code GLASGOPOD22. This offers for new subscribers only and is only available with the promotional code given in this podcast. Subscriptions will renew at the standard rates unless cancelled. 